2: Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we're giving away a bunch of brand new Blackmagic gear. Yeah,
1: cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Blackmagic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now, cue the music.
2: Hey, welcome to the 254th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Kyle Hausman-Stokes, Jesse Mendelson, and Matt Mahoney. I'm Matt Enloe. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we have director LP
1: on the show. She has been around in the comedy world since, since when we started. I feel like we kind of started around the same time, but she started at the right place, and we started at the wrong place. No, but she's awesome. She started out as an assistant at Gary Sanchez, Will Ferrell, and Adam McKay's company, and now she's directing... A bunch of TV shows, a lot of comedy stuff. She had a movie on Netflix last year, Desperados, that starred Nassim Padrad, and I think it was the number one movie on Netflix for a little while. Really fun, really interesting to see her climb from basically comedy web videos to uh, studio features and TV shows right? Yeah. The the climb that Matt and I are still, you know, kind of waiting for. So studios,
2: give us a call, email us, just shoot at pod at gmail.com. Everything in due time. But yeah, it was a real treat to talk to LP. You know, we, we take a stroll down memory lane talking about web video back in the day and the nature of comedy. But I think we do manage to parse a lot of the different things that she's learned along the way and kind of formed them into some teachable moments. So even though, You may not be looking at getting a job at Funny or Die on the Ground level anytime soon. There's still a lot of great nuggets that uh, we extracted from her. And, you know, you learn a heck of a lot directing sketch after after sketch after sketch and then moving into television and movies. So it's a great conversation.
1: Yeah. Well, cool. Before we talk to LP, though, Matt, I kind of had something I wanted to talk to you about. And our conversation with LP reminded me of it which is how important a director's IMDb profile is, because I have some thoughts on it. And I, I'm i sure your thoughts are probably more valuable than my thoughts. But LP has like 66 directing credits because of all her funny or die stuff is on her IMDb profile. And she she was not crazy about that. And I personally have had a really ugly looking IMDb page until very recently, because I became a an IMDb Pro, I have been for many years using my wife's account, which is limiting because you can't upload photos of yourself on your wife's account.
2: <laughs> so I've changed it. It's it's um, there's a few really crucial things that IMDb Pro allows you to do. But the one that helps with the cosmetics of your page is being able to upload the photo. Imagine if, you know, on any social media, imagine if on Facebook you had to spend 100 bucks a year making sure that you had a profile photo, it'd probably be worth it. I mean, maybe not Facebook right now for me, but
1: yeah, I I see. But yeah, so I was looking for write-offs at the end of last year in December and literally on December 31st, I was like, oh, IMDb Pro, I can write that off. Uh, I'm going to just buy a year subscription now. It's I think it's like 150 bucks, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, something IMDb like Pro? that. I think during December, actually, they run a little sale, I think, so.
1: Yeah, then I was looking at my IMDb I because I've been doing a lot of commercials lately I haven't really been on IMDb that much and I do think they actually put commercials on there they also put podcasts on there which is a great thing to mention to our listeners if you look up just shoot it podcast on IMDb if you can give us a rating that would be amazing feel free to give it a 10 out of 10 if you want to give it a 9 out of 10 you know I guess that's fine but uh No, give it whatever rating you want. But um, having ratings, I think, helps us. And IMDb is kind of like, I feel like back in the day, that's what made you legitimate, right? You had a credit
2: on IMDb. Yeah, yeah. Do you still think that's true nowadays? I think that we are both at points in our careers where we're looking at IMDb less and less. But I, I use IMDb Pro all the time currently in kind of like doing a little bit of research on a person. You know, it's there are aspects of it that allow you to see like who you have in common in terms of like credits, you know, like, oh, I worked at this place and so did they. So this person might be a connector, things like that. There, there are some honest to goodness social network aspects of it. And also it has contact information for representatives. So if I need to reach out to an actor to make an offer or I want to pitch someone on X, Y or Z all that contact information is hidden behind the paywall of IMDb Pro.
1: Right. And that's how I've always thought of IMDb Pro. It's like, hey, you can see someone's star meter rating, which is important to some people that are trying to put together a movie. But more importantly, you can get the contact information reps. Let's say you want to find a new manager and you know, hey, this director is kind of similar to me. I wonder who their manager is and maybe I can contact them. It's a tool that lets you find the Hollywoody agents and managers and lawyers and things like that if you want production companies but i never really thought of it as my face when people look me up on imdb and it's funny what yeah when i first moved to la like literally on the date like there was always a joke like if you were gonna go on a date with someone you like look them up on imdb you know first to see kind of what what they're who they are what
2: they're up to right Um, and so the one of the other things that they allow you to do is augment what you're quote-unquote known for, right? So it'll give you a couple credits up top, right? So you could, if you're meeting orin for drinks, take a look and see that, oh... He's just like that gray little profile icon, Oren Kaplan, and he is known for some old viral videos that he did 10 years ago. Oh, dude, I was known for
1: literally one of my first short films ever made with no poster, no credit, no anything. It's just like directed Confessions of a Telecommuter in 2004 or something. That
2: was what I was known for. So if you're just kind of like meeting with Oren for the first time, you know, you owe his manager a favor or something like that, and you're having him come up real quick and you're going to do a quick five minute deep dive on Oren before he makes his way past the, uh, security guard. One of the first things you'll do is IMDB them. Right. And so at a glance, it's nice to see what you're most proud of, for instance, and maybe a flattering photo of what you look like. Right. Well, honestly, I looked you up and I was like, Oh my goodness. If I was
1: listening to this podcast and wanted to hire a director for uh, some scripted narrative thing. And I looked up Matt and I looked up Oren on IMDb. Of course I would hire Matt. There was a picture of Matt at Comic-Con speaking on some panel. He's known for all these shows that, have either famous people on in them or they have at least posters <laughs> and what's Oren known for being a giant question mark and then directing five short films with all with posters <laughs> that are question marks and actors you've never heard of. Yeah. So I, I honestly kind of feel like I I'm sure I've lost opportunities because my IMDb
2: page was so ugly. Yeah. Yeah. I... I, I mean, look, uh... I think everybody takes it with a grain of salt. And I think that at a certain point it, it kind of comes back around where it's like if you look at the writers in particular uh, on like certain TV shows or like, you know when I'm doing the thing that you were describing of like, oh, look up this rap or that rep or whatever, and you scroll to the bottom, oftentimes people who are working quite regularly, It's almost... It feels like almost sort of cool to not care about your IMDb because you're so busy working, right? There's a a little bit of that to it as well.
1: When it's like, oh, my last three credits are like Avengers and, you know, uh, Nomadland. Like whatever things that are like winning awards or they're big blockbusters. But I think when you your body of work is a little murkier, like, oh, you've done some things some people have heard of or you've worked with actors that people have heard of but they haven't heard of the project, maybe fine-tuning
2: it is super helpful. Yeah, at, at the very least, if someone can look you up and be like, oh, I see you're known for this show, ideally that show is one that you want to talk about and not that one one that you're embarrassed right. by. And I will say absolutely that if an actor does not have a photo...
1: I don't think of them as a professional actor. That's true. Uh, yeah. yeah. Actors, as, it's a as different As unfair deal.
2: as that is. I don't know that it's unfair exactly. You need to know what an actor looks like because their face presumably is going to be in the thing you're shooting. And the database that everyone uses to look at people, actors, and see what their credits are you know, that should have a tiny bit of TLC. It's, it's the equivalent of like your resume basically. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, what do you think? Let's say you don't live in LA yet or don't live in LA. You've made a couple short films and you got them on IMDb. They played some festivals. How important is it for this director to get an IMDb pro account, put her photo in there and, you know, get, their IMDB looking spiffy. Do you think it's worth the $150 investment when you're just at the very beginning of your career?
2: You know, I would say uh maybe not, but I think that they're I think it's certainly worth exploring all of the free aspects of IMDB and like taking those to the limit because IMDB is basically a wiki and so the paywall of IMDB Pro does limit a handful of things that are especially useful if you live in Hollywood, but if you don't, most of the good parts of IMDP you can do without uh, without paying, basically. So I think you can upload photos for your project. You can upload posters. You can add all of the cast and crew and all of that stuff. You can flesh it out in a meaningful way before you spend a, a penny. So I think the the last thing that you have to worry about is your photo. And that can that can take a beat, I would say. You know, if, if times are tough and you're you're looking to just kind of put that money into films instead of IMDb Pro, I think that's certainly okay. And I do think it's worth
1: mentioning, if you are trying to submit things to IMDb, which is, you know, the method in which you put your projects on there and add the cast and crew, if you do have a Pro account, they will look at your submissions before the non-pro accounts I've noticed with the pro account, literally I get stuff on there like within an hour of when I submit it. And with my non-pro account, it would take a few
2: days. Yeah. The other thing I think that's worth thinking about is I have film school projects on my IMDb the same way that you have those short films that you have on your IMDb. And when they are submitted, it was so exciting to have them. You felt legitimate. Like you were saying And now I would probably rather not have production designer from, you know, 2005 on my IMDb for like a student film. Like, is that a thing I want there now? Probably not in the same way that LP, you know, perhaps doesn't want every single thing that they've ever done. And I think it's pretty hard to take that stuff off. Well, so I stupidly put my
1: age, my birth date on there in, you know, when I was like 20 years old and that is un- unremovable. And now I'm like, ah,
2: why did I do that? <laughs> yeah, it, that is genuinely unremovable. And also IMDb was sued by an actor to to be like hey that's private information i don't want my i i want people to cast me on what i play not what my actual age is and imdb won the lawsuit they won the the their right to display the age of an actor um because it's quote-unquote public knowledge has is held up in court so there's right. the only way you can, can do get about it, it
1: removed is if you can prove to them that it's wrong right Right, right? because that's their whole thing is that it's they they list
2: their public record yeah yeah yeah
1: well anyway imdb check out imdb pro i mean i'm sure everyone knows about it but um if you or and you don't look a day over 72 thank you if you do want to make your profile if you want to jazz it up a little bit check it out check out matt's profile matt Enlow. it's it's pretty nice you can check out mine
2: too Orin kaplan It's, it's okay but it's, gonna, yeah, it's yeah. getting better. Looking good, man. Looking good. Awesome. While you're at it, check out our guest LP, the letter L, the letter P. It's got a lot of great credits on on her IMDb as well. And we're about to jump into a conversation as soon as Oren reminds us about our Patreon page.
1: Yeah. Hey, uh, you want to hear more about my IMDb woes or Matt's uh, sage advice? then you probably enjoy this podcast. And if you do enjoy it, if you feel like you've gotten anything out of it, you should check out our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash just shoot pod. It's a place where you can throw a few bucks towards the podcast to help support us. If you give us 10 bucks, we'll send you a hat that says just shoot it. It's awesome. We're all caught up on the hat mailings. I've gotten it down. I can mail you a hat. If you want to catch any sort of deadly virus from me, Give us 10 bucks. I will try to cough on something and mail it to you. Just kidding. Just going to send you a hat. And yeah, patreon.com slash just shoot a pod lets you do it. And we appreciate all the support. Hey, folks, we're interrupting this incredible episode of the podcast to tell you about a new sponsor that we're working with, Front Row Insurance Brokers. One of the challenges of being a filmmaker is that there's a lot of risks that we take and we really just want to focus on making good stuff. So what if there was a company that could take those risks, manage them for us while we are being
2: artists? That's right. Front Row Insurance Brokers arranges film production insurance to cover the risks associated with your production. They cover features, TV shows, documentaries, commercials, music videos, webisodes, basically anything you can watch on big media or phone-sized screens.
1: Yeah, Front Row will help you focus on your artistic vision by transferring all the risks to them and minimizing your production hazards. And they cover any budget from $2,000 all the way up to $200 million.
2: There's nothing that's too small or too big. If you are shooting in Canada, use coupon code JUSTSHOOTIT50OFF for 50 bucks off your film production insurance. That's promo code JUSTSHOOTIT50OFF to save 50 bucks.
1: And if you're shooting in the U.S., that same code can be redeemed offline by mentioning it to a broker, or by email, or over the phone. It's like a cool password if
2: you're in the U.S. That's just shoot it 50 off. Check them out. Let us know how it goes. So LP, you have an illustrious career, but I think you and I our paths first crossed at Funny or Die.
0: Funnyordie.com.
2: The website that made many careers back in the day, not that long ago. It feels like ancient history in a funny way, but it was like a a big thing I mean, it was kind of long ago.
0: Well, it started, I think (laughs) it started in 2009 was Pearl. And at the time that Pearl got made, and what we we mean by Pearl is the landlord video, I was working for Gary Sanchez. Where Will Ferrell is
1: being yelled at by a a baby. A
0: child cursed and yelled at, demanding the rent.
2: I want my money. You're an alcoholic.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it was the perfect internet video with a cursing baby and a celebrity, and the internet ate it up. And at the time that they shot that, I was at the assistant at Gary Sanchez Productions.
2: Oh, cool. And so you already had a cool job.
0: I had already gotten the coolest job I'd ever had.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's top, you know, 1% of cool jobs.
0: Yeah, it was like and it, the company had just started, so Gary Sanchez was Will and Adam Will Ferrell and Adam McKay's production company and it had just started, so it was Me and those guys and a producer named Chris Henshey and Jessica Elbaum. And we just like hung out and played video games. It was the coolest.
2: Whatever happened to them, huh?
0: I know. It's a shame those guys didn't go on to do anything, but they helped me out. And one day they were like, hey, we're going to go shoot this video with the baby. She's repeating everything I say, said Adam McKay. And uh, we're going to have her yell at Will and we're going to shoot this little video where we might start a website. Okay, I'll see you guys on Monday. So they they shoot this video. So
1: when you were when you were working there, there wasn't even like, there was the website no it wasn't even a
2: thing. She yeah. was a Gary Sanchez. Just to kind of, if you're not obsessed with Will Ferrell and Adam McKay, their their production company basically. Yeah.
0: So I was it, just the, the assistant in the office, answering the phones, reading scripts, doing bits all day. And then so they shoot this video, and they they come back the next week, and we're we've got an editor editing it, and we're laughing, and we're like, this is great. We should put it on this this website that CAA and these hedge fund people want us to do, all right, we'll see what happens. We put it up and we email it to like a couple of our friends to see what happens and it immediately starts like getting passed around and the phone is ringing and people are calling and we're watching the hits go up from like 1,000, 10,000, like it was just so fun and weird. It was like funnier Die, the website itself had, I don't know, 10 videos on it at that point.
2: I, I have a question actually because this is so early in, just the concept of comedy videos online. Did you use the term viral? Like, that do not popular yet, right? Like that's kind of, you taught us what going viral was with that video. I feel like we didn't
0: know. We knew it was awesome what was happening, but we didn't know that was a term. And then that turned into like, everyone wanted a viral video and we're like, you can't bottle it. Don't ask us for one. But so this website. And then you're like, fine. Fine, we'll do it. Give us the money. We'll do it. So then this this video took off in such a way that they were like, "Okay, this is a company now. We're going to start making videos regularly. And they knew I wanted to be a writer. And so they were like, we have a writing job for you. It's going to be in the kitchen and you can write videos for this website and sit at the kitchen table. Um, And it was me and Jake Szymanski and Brian Safi and Amy Rhodes. And we just started making silly videos for this website and calling Will's friends and asking John C. Riley to be in stuff and shooting things out in the courtyard. And everything was very like guerrilla style, like hold your own boom mic, buy your own props. Like we have 20 minutes to get this dumb idea down and figure it out. And it just started growing from there. And as we were making stuff, I was writing sketches and they were being shot. And then it just sort of out of necessity I started directing my own sketches and I hadn't gone to film school or anything, so I didn't really have a grasp on like how to make stuff except I was watching other people direct my scripts and I was like, I can do that, I know where I want people to stand and how I want them to say the thing and what I want it to look like and so I just started doing it more and more and got more confident and then our crews started to grow and you had like a DP and a sound guy and stuff started happening and it got bigger and better. It
2: was right, was amazing. Well, well, and as your crews are growing, part of it also is that like Funny or Die kind of became sort of almost like a press junket stop. You know, it was very cool for celebrities to like do a funny video that also would probably promote the movie that was about to come out or something like
0: that. That's how like, we got most of the people to do it. Because like, why are you coming to do a free video at this website? That may or may not go viral.
2: <laughs> right, right. All of these children are here. They've <laughs> written something for you.
0: <laughs> we used to have pitch Always. meetings and they would come in and sit at the end of the table and we would just throw crazy ideas at them. Sure. Yeah, One of yeah. the best ones was Marion Cotillard, who's like a wonderful French actress. And we pitched her all these like crazy ideas. And at the end of the meeting, she was like, I like the fart and the titty ideas. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I think I saw that. Boobs well, glasses yeah. or something? Or yeah,
0: does it was she have uh, boobs forehead. Forehead titties, where t-tays, you, look, yeah. you look a woman in the eyes.
2: <laughs> yeah, of, where it, she, she literally had up here. prosthetic breasts on yes. her forehead. Yes. Yeah, yeah, And she was, it was a fancy movie she was promoting too, right? Yes, like,
0: I'm forgetting what it was now, but
2: maybe World War II is involved or like, you know. Yeah,
0: she, well, she came fancy. in and she was like, I'm tired of playing depressed women. Let me do something silly. And uh, she sure did. It was a great video.
2: Well, the crazy
1: thing is that this kind of like access to celebrities is like, that was like a super unique situation because, like, you know, Matt and I, Matt used to work at Comedy Central. Like, we worked. We did things for New Form that was like kind of like spawned off from like a Ron Howard company, you know, and it's not like you can be like, hey, Ron, can you call Jack Black and tell him to be in my video? Even when you, you know, my friend works for Margot Robbie's company or works through, it's not like they're just like calling up celebrities that are just coming over and being in their videos. That it seems like it was a unique situation that it wasn't just like Will Ferrell and Adam McKay's name on there. They were actually like getting people to be in the videos, which seems
2: well and okay. caa Crazy also was part of the hedge fundy sort
0: of side. Yes, yeah, caa things, would right? help us out a little bit and then you know we had like a pr person eventually who would get people and some hustler producer mike farah who is the ceo now he was there hustling people to get in videos and do things for causes or get a bunch of celebrities together and just trying to make noise
2: so so while all this is happening right like everyone it's at the same time that like People are getting TV shows from, you know, Twitter accounts and things like that. It's a very fun time to be making comedy on the internet. And I think everyone was aware of that and all kind of caught by surprise too, right? It wasn't like going into comedy when we were younger was a glamorous plan. And so how conscious of all of that kind of happening around you were you? Like, were you just kind of like riding the wave or did you, when did you become calculated of like, oh... I'm a filmmaker now. I want to, I'm directing is going to be my job.
0: I think that took me a while. When we were working there and things were happening so fast, you were making like a video every other day. You were like shooting one and then the next day you're editing it and then you're on to like what else can I do? So it just felt very like constant with that stuff that you almost couldn't zoom out and find the bigger picture of what you were doing. But I guess like, you know, There was a staff of us there writers and directors and people started to get agents and like go out for tv pitches and so you kind of like started to see it happen and i had reps too and i guess it wasn't until right before i left which was in 2014 that i started to get attached to movies and like really see like okay it's time for me to to fly off and and do something besides internet videos that are three minutes long
2: because in a funny way it's also like it's a dream come true right to just be making cool weird videos that people actually see with your friends you know it,
0: well and they're paying you and a-list people are being in them and it was a dream
2: yeah it's cool offices too like the oh, yeah, yeah, ping yeah. pong tables all over the place yeah and stuff, there's like an arcade know.
0: game and like... there's
2: probably beer on thursdays or something <laughs> totally
0: <laughs> right? yeah yeah someone's yeah. picking up chick-fil-a in the morning
1: but i guess what i'm curious about lp is at that time because i think a lot of us have experienced this thing where we're making these viral videos. We have some celebrities, we have some interests, we have a lot of PR and things. And we're like, oh, this is like my way into Hollywood. And then you go and you talk to like some manager at anonymous content or something. And they're like, yeah, we don't care about your you know, web videos. How much currency did like having these viral video hits have in, in your career in terms of like directing a Netflix movie, directing TV shows? Like how did, did those viral videos help you? And do you think that that is like something that new directors like should try to get viral videos or you think it's totally unrelated?
0: I think it kind of gets you in the door. It gets a conversation going, but I certainly heard a thousand times like, you know, oh, we love this this video, but, you know, she, she doesn't have anything longer that shows she could do a TV show or she doesn't have anything shorter that shows she could do a commercial. And so it's like this sort of, it helps but it also doesn't help unless you're up for a job of directing three-minute videos
2: right i wonder because i i did only just a tiny bit of work at funny or die and i always felt like as a, basically an outsider that like because of the celebrities that like they were or maybe the the scale of the videos that they were taken slightly more seriously than like college humor videos or something like that i wonder i guess there's not that's an apples and oranges comparison but i i I guess I, you dream that, oh, well, like CIA and Will Ferrell and all of that stuff, like at least those guys are getting taken seriously, you know?
0: Well, and then I guess we did start to think of things in a way of like, I really have to like hone in on the genre of this thing I'm shooting so I can show that I can do an action thing or a spooky thing or, you know, we started to really try to get stylized with stuff so that at least you could say you know, look at this, the tone of this thing I made. And actually one of the first movies I got, I ended up having to do a, a video to get the job. Like they wanted, the studio Lionsgate wanted me to shoot something to pick between me and another director. If anything, it helped for that.
2: Yeah, sure, yeah, you can get a little scrappy. But, so, but I think that's really interesting though, and maybe there's something teachable there of like, because I think, you know, people can be in similar sort of jobs maybe not quite so free reeling but like maybe they're at a commercial company or at like a startup or something like that but the idea of like honing in on the style and saying okay well this is my example to show people that i can do this thing the x y z whatever like is it action is it product shots or whatever like being able to get a little more pointed in terms of what things you're trying to show people that you can do i think is really smart
0: Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of people have funny videos, but if you have something and it's the thing that you want to do and you can really show, look, I did a comedic, a dark comedy thing with a chase scene or, you know, something that relates to the the project you're going after, that at at least helps that stuff. Yeah.
1: Did you ever, like, I guess another thing that I bet people are listening are thinking, like, well, you're working with all these celebrities, like, let's say you make a short, funnier dive video with Danny DeVito. Does that, mean that you can be like hey Danny can you do this pilot with me or like it it depends those are people that can get things greenlit right
0: it just depends on who that person is and how your relationship ended up being you know some sometimes celebrities come in and they have 45 minutes and they're going to do the thing and bust out other times people come in and they are like chummy and you end up making a friend and I'm just thinking of uh, Molly Sims came in and wanted to do some videos and her and I hit it off, and I ended up pitching a TV show with her. We we became friends, and we pitched a TV show about a, your best friend being a supermodel, and it didn't sell. But we but that that ha- that certainly happened. I I'm remembering other people too who like built relationships with people, and then were pitching projects with various celebrities or having them star in a pilot they were shooting. Or that for sure.
1: Wow. So what was your kind of first break into like a more traditional Hollywood opportunity?
0: Um, I think probably, I mean, getting the Gary Sanchez job was my, was a big, like, holy shit, I can't believe I got this. Um, And that came because I was working at Upright Citizens Brigade as a night manager. And one of the things that I don't know who told me this, but I think it's great advice for someone starting out is to tell people what you want to do. People don't know that you want to be a writer or director unless you tell them. And so if you're cool and they've been getting along with you and then they're looking for a writer or whatever, you have to at least let them know that that's what you're trying to do. So
1: do you think you should say, I want to be a writer? And you think you should say, I'm a writer when you're at UCB? Do you tell people like, well, I
0: guess you can say, I'm a writer. I want to write for a TV show or I'm a writer. I want to sell a screenplay. I was just vocal about wanting to write. And I would tell Matt Walsh and Ian Roberts and Matt Besser when they were in. Uh, we all became friendly. And then Matt and Ian got me like writer's assistant jobs on some shows they were working on. And then Ian called me one day and said, Hey, my friends are starting a production company. I'm going to get you an interview as the assistant. And I was like, great. Who are your friends? <laughs> and his friends were Will Farrell and Adam McKay. <laughs> and so uh, he gets me an interview. And my first interview is with Adam and Chris Henshey and Gary Sanchez had just started as a company. So they were trying to put it out there that Gary Sanchez was a real guy and he was like an investor from Paraguay and a professional soccer player. And he'd given them money to start a company. And it was this whole story. So I go into the office and they start talking about Gary and he's going to call and try to get me to go to Paraguay and I can't go. And so I just started to do the bit back with them. I was like, you got it, I would never, blah, 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 We're just joking, joking, joking. They never once asked me a question. Can I answer a phone? Have I done coverage on a scrap? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> so I left and I was like, I don't know. And uh, and I ended up getting the job, I think, because they were just like, she can hang. She can just like be in this office with us. I think,
2: though, that I think is worth pointing out, though, is your your topic of like, oh, can you hang? You know, like that's a phrase that people use sometimes. And there's a lot of different ways to unpack it. But I think the big question is like, are you going to be weird around our famous friends or are you going to be fun? Sure. And like,
0: sure, maybe, yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, a little bit, right? Like, being an assistant, mean, like, you're going to be greeting people when they come in the door. You're going to be like telling them how to find parking when they're stressed out. You're setting a tone. And so, yeah, like, being able to like do this bit is. In a sense, more important than like figuring out how to do coverage or whatever. you'll figure that out. you'll get there, right? But like the ease of a personality, you know sometimes is a is the thing that they need first. that's that that's less of a guarantee, basically. It was such was a
0: small company too. It was like we have to be with each other. So like can we hang out with you all day? Let's find out.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. at Comedy Central, I always used to talk about observing people to learn how to be a person. You know, like like sometimes like social graces aren't always natural for me. Like I always kind of have to like, well, when when do I follow up on an email or like I just second guess things a little bit. And so that training ground of being able to like be uh, in the back row behind the big table and just be like, oh, that's how you do it. Don't be such a weirdo. And Lo is like. It's always
0: good valuable. advice. Don't be yeah. such a weirdo.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, so so I want to fast forward a tiny bit because, you know, you said in 2014, you decided to leave Funny or Die. And we, ta- we spent a lot of time talking about how great that job was. Why did you decide to part ways? Like why? what was waiting for you on the other side?
0: I had gotten attached to a couple movies, and so it was time for me to try to go get those. And also Funnier or Die was going through like a transition of where they were going to like, the whole internet was changing and how they made creative decisions. And so Funnier or Die was sort of going through an overhaul at the same time. So it was just good timing. But I had like three movies I got attached to like right in a row. And one of like them- Like as a director? As a director, yeah. So I was like pitching on these movies and ended up getting- Three of them, like within two months, uh, I got three films. So
2: that's a pretty clear.
1: Wait, so how line do you of the same how sand? are you pitching on movies? Did you have like reps?
0: So I had agents, and they would send me scripts, and there were a couple of scripts I really liked, and ended up they just sort of lined up that like I was pitching to get these jobs all around the same time.
1: And you got these agents from your funnier die work.
0: I got these agents from my managers, and I got my managers through, like networking with like a friend of a friend, who we were ended up talking about management. And I was like, Yeah, I just had left my managers. And she was like, Let me set you up with someone you should have reps. And so it was like, I just happened to be having a lucky conversation with someone who knew someone that would make sense but
1: your body of work at, up until this point was comedy videos
0: but it was yeah i was like halfway into my funny or die career and so she was a fan of my stuff and she was a producer at a production company and so she's like i don't mind sending an email on your behalf
2: the, what i like about that also is that there's like a handful of people in your life as you kind of go like travel through hollywood that are like more connectors you know who, who kind of like love introducing people to one another and like I feel like sometimes there's that stereotype about Hollywood of like people being really self-interested, you know, you think that maybe people are more guarded with their contacts, but for the most part people are excited to like, yeah, you know, matchmake, you know,
0: yeah, I love those. Well, people. if they believe in you, yeah,
2: if they don't
1: believe in you and some or if someone like hits you up and they're like, hey, do you think your manager might rep me? And you're like, no, like, that's what you're thinking. Then you say like, well, I'm I have a weird relationship with them right now, so uh, I'll get back to you. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, yeah. Let me um, I'll check in. Uh, we're kind of in between things right now, but uh, but yeah, follow back
1: up. But that's crazy. So you've done these funnier die videos that some a lot of hits. Then off of that you get repped and now you're pitching on like studio films? When I say now I mean those three movies that you were pitching on. Yeah. Not it was, today now.
0: Then then I was pitching on one was set up at a studio, the others were just up no, I think actually so much has happened. So this was like, you know, six years ago now. Only one of those movies got made, which was Desperados that I shot uh, a year or two ago. But yeah, one was Lion's Gate, one was at CBS Films, and I'm trying to remember where Desperados was at that point. Um, I think they were figuring it out.
2: Because it ended up at Netflix, right? Ended
0: up at Netflix, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: but but that's worth pointing out as well. Like, I feel like sometimes you feel like, oh, someone's just pulling the football out from underneath me, right? Like Charlie Brown. Like, three movies at reputable big studios. Like, places your parents have heard of. You can be like, hey, everybody, I've got a movie at CBS, (laughs) you know? And, and stuff still falls apart, you know?
1: Yeah, but still, I mean, All that's pretty incredible,
2: yeah. don't you think, To All you've done is comedy
1: videos as a director, and you're pitching and a couple on of
0: TV studio
1: movies. Oh, you had
0: done some TV by then. I had done, like, a handful of TV. Like, maybe I had done, like, a Nickelodeon show. And, like, I don't know if Alone Together had happened by that point. Maybe not, actually.
1: Wait, but that's not nothing. You, so you did it. Uh, so you were, like, DGA, I guess, at this point, right? No. Like, how did you do the Nickelodeon show?
0: Nickelodeon I didn't have to be DGA for. I don't know why.
1: And how did you get that? That
0: was a um, a producer that I had met, and she just was, like, a fan and wanted to give me a, a shot of the TV thing. Just a great, cool woman, Charlotte Bridgette.
1: I mean, that has to be part of how you are now, like, have – Reputable agents and are pitching on studio films,
2: right?
0: I mean, I don't know that anyone gave a shit about that Nickelodeon show I'll be honest. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I bet I bet they cared more about the funnier die videos I think than they the Nickelodeon did show. and you know, you yeah. got to
0: go in with your pitch and your presentation and your whole spiel and You know as many rounds of pitching and
2: yeah you know. I-, I wonder LP if the element that maybe is worth maybe digging in on a tiny bit more because I feel like I'm hearing things like oh, well, you know, I, I was around, I set my intentions. I let it be known, and then, you know, a few of the founders of modern improv vouched for you, right? <laughs> All right? with With, you know, two inarguable comedy geniuses who then took you under their wing and then, like, put you in charge of a lot of important videos with celebrities. Like, it feels like maybe there's we're underplaying your ability to network that's a that's a, a dirty word but like be make friends basically and then the trust that's implicit in friendship then run with and like pay off you know what i mean like it feels like that that's the difference maybe between you know some other like digital hits is like oh like if will farrell is vouching for you and also you've got all these you know hits on these great videos that's a different thing than just some funny videos. Do you know what I mean? And I, I think Funny or Die does have a, a little bit of that sheen, perhaps.
0: Right, right. I was and, the and head then, writer too. If the yeah, yeah. title helped a little bit.
2: Yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel like we're underplaying a lot of of things happening that kind of all culminated into some studio movies. It's not like you just had like some views you know. <laughs> right. But also,
1: I think, I mean, I think kind of the thing we're not talking about, which I'm, get, I'm ascertaining from all this is like kind of the confidence that you've built up by the time you're pitching to Lionsgate or pitching to CBS. You know, it's your first, your first big movie you're ever pitching on. You're going in and you're nervous and you're like, please let me do this. And then you're like, you're asking for permission. It sounds more like you've been surrounded by these kind of A-list people, especially in the comedy world. You've they've trusted you. You have You have like this, probably a comfort with working with comedic actors, you know, with, um, you're the head writer. So you have a mastery of story, you know, you've directed all this stuff. So you, you have the technical part down. And so I think maybe I was underplaying it. Um, uh, and I'm sure part of it is coming like from my own insecurities or whatever, but I, I feel like you know, because when back in the day when we were doing things for Adam Film and uh, Super Deluxe and all those companies, like if someone came to me and said like, hey, you can pitch on a Lionsgate feature, I'd be like, uh, okay, like, what am I supposed to do? And then I would just kind of beg them to like me, you know, and it sounds and that's like the best way to not get a job. So it sounds like you the training ground you had, like starting as an assistant, but kind of becoming the head writer and all that. It's like. It's almost like you're like running snl at this point except it just happens to be on the internet right and so- i
0: agree yeah and i think that's how people thought of Funnier die at that time too it was like the internet snl um so it was it, it was at the height of respect for that website too
1: yeah so what's what'd you say at your pitch to get all these movies
0: what did i say one one of them there was like a smoothie mentioned in the movie so one pitch i brought smoothies to the executives to be oh, like really? let's uh let's all have a smoothie and make a smooth movie i didn't do it like that
2: sure sure <laughs> but but it worked though. but i it like went brought hard.
0: a thing you said me.
2: smoothie smooth movie i
0: don't think so <laughs> uh,
2: i i'm gonna pretend you did
0: <laughs> maybe i did something like that yeah i punned uh, that- it up in some cool way
2: That's really funny, too, because I feel like if a friend of mine was like, hey, I'm really excited, I'm pitching my first big studio movie, I'm going to bring smoothies. It's like a thing, it's in the script that they have, I would be like, hey yeah that's really cool but maybe don't do that you know like i maybe. was so
0: pumped about it you got
2: <laughs> it so like what do i know right like
0: <laughs> i was like looking for shit in the other movie because i didn't bring anything to the other movies but i was like looking for it you know it has to make sense
1: yeah 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 yeah. that's interesting though. i'm telling you when you when you have a crazy idea and people tell you don't do it just do it anyway if you're excited about it because that you know i was pitching this show about jesus like what if jesus just like lived in la and was trying to like not follow in his father's footsteps just trying to be like a normal dude. And we 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 did like a show for Adam Film for Comedy Central's website. And then they were like, come in and pitch us to the TV show. And I was like, dude, to my co creator who played Jesus, I was like, dude, you got to come in as Jesus. Like, that's, that is that is the show. Is like Jesus is pitching a show about himself. You know, it's like the Seinfeld moment. And everyone's like, no, do not have him dress up as Jesus. Do not do it. That's the dumbest thing. Oh, they're going to think you're so desperate. And guess what? We didn't sell the show. So, uh, and we didn't do it. And so, I feel like we should have done it.
0: You should have done it
1: um, because that—that is the show. So smoothie, smooth movie.
0: Bring a thing, have a thing. It gives you extra (laughs) things to talk about and do. And then they're like, "Oh my god, she brought smoothies. That's so great. Oh my god, Jesus was here. That's so great.
2: Crazy. Did you? Were you taking pitches when you were at Gary Sanchez before? Like, were you in the room? Were you watching other people pitch at all?
0: Occasionally, I would be in the room for a pitch um Not very often, but at Funnier Die, I was in the room for pitches all the time. That was a lot of Funnier oh, yeah. Die. So was that helps pitching. you too, right? Yeah. Well, Funnier Die, we were pitching all the time to each other, to celebrities, to producers. You're just trying to get your thing made all the time.
2: Right, right. Because it is sort of that, that competitive thing, right? When you're pitching to a celebrity, only one sketch gets made, right? So there's a room full of writers who all want to, you know, get Marion Cotillard to think they're funny
0: yeah exactly and she's only gonna pick one today idea (laughs) That's
1: right. (laughs) (laughs) wait so um this is a this is a general question that I'm sure highly depends uh what the answer is but when you go and pitch on these features like how much are you changing the script like in your pitches like are you, you do you try to come with new ideas story-wise and things, um, are you kind of ma- mainly focusing on the visuals and the execution of the script?
0: Both. It depends, too, like, how much I liked the script. Like, I had to like it at least a little bit or be hooked on something to want to pitch on it. But one of the movies that I was pitching on, it was called White Girl Problems. And um, the original script of it was had so much to do with Twitter. It was one of those movies that got bought off a Twitter handle. And it was all about this girl's Twitter followers and how many followers she had. And there was like a counter on the screen about the followers. And I was like, this is the dumbest part of the movie. There's a relationship with her and her nanny that feels very maternal and cool and funny. It should be an action movie about those two trying to, the girl loses her, her phone gets stolen. And so they go on like a big chase to get her phone back. And I'm like, that's the movie. No one gives a shit about Twitter especially any time, like in the future anyway. So for that movie, I went in and I was like, it needs to all be rewritten. Right.
2: Twitter's going to go like, away in like two years.
0: Who does Twitter anymore? Um, but just like for a movie, I was like, no, I don't care about this for an yeah. hour and a the half.
2: stakes can't be like, how many followers do you have?
0: Absolutely. Um, and then for Desperados, I went in and didn't really have a lot of notes on it. It had been a script for like more than 10 years. It had almost gotten made several times before. It probably had notes from everybody that read it before me and it was in great shape. And I was like, I have a couple of ideas on stuff and, but it, I wasn't going in with a whole ton of rewrites. So it was like, these are the things I like about it. Here's how I see this part of it. And just showing visuals to match up with that those ideas.
1: Can I ask you about Desperados real quick? Sure. Cause I'm curious. So the premise, I haven't seen the movie, but I saw the trailer and the premise is that Nasim Pedrad has fell like fallen for this guy who ghosts her, and so she sends him like the meanest, angriest text of all time. And then she finds out he's been in a car accident. He lost his phone, and he's in Mexico. And so now her and her friends need to go find his phone before he finds it and delete that message, so that she doesn't ruin her chances with him. It's like really similar to Road Trip, right?
0: Absolutely, it's, the, it's the Road Trip. And I think there's another one Are, like that. Were they
1: related to each other?
0: Uh, they're not related, but it's that thing of I have to get to the email or the letter before that person does. It's it's, we've seen that part before, that idea. But you know, it's funny with three ladies in Mexico getting into trouble.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, road trip. I feel like that that premise, even though that movie's so old, like that premise is still so fresh. And I guess you guys kind of flipped the script, like kind of. Flip the geography and flip the genders, right? Right,
0: and it's hard too. Like with it, it's being an email, so we had to make sure like he can't be near his. Like we have to explain where his computer is, his phone is. He can't go check his email on someone else's phone. Like there was too many things to think about, but we pulled it off. I think was that.
1: I'm assuming that's part of the Mexico thing. Like he's kind of in this place where he just doesn't have access to.
0: Yeah, he's in. He's stuck in the hospital. His things are at the resort, and he can't get to them.
2: So talking about Desperados, you know, you, you've you done TV work kind of in between, but like what felt different and what felt the same more importantly between those kind of early scrappy days and your like, you know, big budget, like, you know, real capital D director jobs, you know, like what, what, what skills transferred over when you were grateful for to have like cut your teeth at Funny or Die? Do you feel like there were things where I was like, ha and what was surprisingly different? Um, you know?
0: Well, I'm I'm always a little um, flexible with stuff because of Funny or Die. So we were we were always figuring out how to do something on the cheap or cheat it, or make the location work as three different locations. Or so I think those skills come in handy for sure whenever I'm shooting. So I'll be a little flexible about a location because I can figure out like oh we'll only look that way. So that we will. The production office is
2: going to be a cafe. It'll be fine. Don't worry about (laughs) it. It'll
0: be fine. That wall looks weird, but we'll just look over here. Um, So that stuff came in handy because even, you know, I guess it's true for every project. There's never enough money, no matter how much money you have. So, uh, you know, it was always being told to me, you know, we don't have enough money for this. and And so you're just figuring out where to make those sacrifices or be flexible in those choices.
1: I'm curious about tone. How does the comedic tone in a feature differ from a funnier die video? Because I find that if I'm trying to make a three minute video that is kind of has a similar tone to a movie, it like kind of is boring. But if you try to make a movie that has a similar tone to a video, it's just dumb. Do you agree or (laughs) like I think when you're making the funnier die Video yeah, sorry to interrupt, but like your your instinct is to just get as many laughs as fast as possible. And when you're doing a movie, you want the story to track, right?
0: I totally agree with characters
1: to be compelling.
0: When you're making those videos, it's like they're gonna click away in ten seconds. And so you have to like make something happen right away and keep attention and and it's like a little explosion and then it's over. But in a movie you got time to breathe, there's characters to develop and relationships and so there's all kinds of nuance that I didn't get to think about when I was making funnier die videos, which and and you know what to the to back to the pitching part of things, part of my pitch was always like this is the style that I work in and I come from funnier die where we made these quick things, but now I'm excited to think about relationships and storylines and and like so I talked it out with them of like, you know maybe they were concerned like she's only done three minute videos like how do we know that she can do a whole movie is she gonna be aware of the story but i was like trying to answer those questions in the pitch and explain like i realize there's a story here and there's an arc visually and storytelling wise and here's where i see the characters going and so you you have to touch on all those things
2: yeah i love the idea of, of kind of just getting in front of things that maybe people are apprehensive about and signaling in pretty overt ways like, hey, I've got it. Like, the you know, I'm going to blow you away on every front, even the ways that maybe you think I might be a little deficient in. That's great. I think that's interesting
1: about the just you mentioned letting things breathe something. Yeah. If there was a time like five years ago where like all these YouTubers were making feature films and I felt like to me that my biggest issue with a lot of those movies was that they never like let anything breathe. You know, they're just like kind of hitting you over the head like nonstop. it's interesting i i guess like when you're pitching on a feature and you're coming from like a web background like like you said like how you kind of show people that you get it that you
2: you're a movie person you know you're not a tiktoker and also like by putting a positive spin on it i think is interesting it's you don't want to plant the fear in their head of like oh well maybe lp doesn't maybe LP is just a TikToker. So you wouldn't say like, don't worry everyone, I'm not a TikToker. I'm really a filmmaker. Like you just, you skip that part and you go straight to the, you know, here's the ways in which I'm a filmmaker as is the, the tech to take.
0: Yeah. Explain to them what you're going to do, how you're going to make it into a movie and how it's going to feel. And those were the, those, that's what all those pitches are is like, breaking down the script into the trunks that you like talking about things that you're excited about showing them images of other movies that it feels similar to i always talk about the characters story arcs things i want to hit that you know make sure the audience sees while we're watching
2: were you always drawn to comedy because we've talked about like how you've sort of tracked this whole thing you know, do you ever think like, oh, I spent my whole career in comedy. Maybe I want to try something a little bit different or, you know, have you dabbled in things or is it just like through and through comedy?
0: Always comedy, through and through. Always like, you know, a little little kid watching SNL and trying to be funny and tell jokes. And um, when I figured out that improv was a thing, I fell in love with that. And uh, yeah, it's always been comedy. Never, Never a desire to like be on set where people are crying or... Going through a tragedy, it's so much yeah. fun to be on a comedy set.
2: And you still get to like make people cry and blow things Sometimes, up. Sometimes, yeah, once in yeah, a while yeah, too, yeah right?
0: for sure. Yeah. So
2: I, I think the other thing we've talked a lot about how fun it was at the dawn of internet comedy. What do you? What advice would you have to filmmakers who are maybe in college right now or looking to break in in some way? Because things have shifted a couple times since then and now, right? Do you see any sort of patterns or do you have any sort of advice for people who are trying to kind of cut their teeth the way you you did back in the day?
0: I think it's just important to make stuff, like whether that's filming something or writing something, just try to generate stuff because that's what people will start asking for. Once they see something, they'll ask for another thing. So like it's important to just keep going honing your voice finding something that can be like a calling card for you
2: yeah yeah i wonder i'm curious to see how things transition once we're kind of people are back into production and people can congregate again because i feel like you t- you touched on ucb as kind of like that's was a early Grounds for people to kind of congregate and meet each other and, and participate with one another and then obviously funny or die and all of that like the, I feel like Now things have splintered a little bit and there are tons of individuals Who are on TikTok or on twitter like and their voices are getting amplified and like we're seeing more funny people Than than you could ever have in a handful of theaters in New York and LA, but I think we do need that physical space and in the case of like, you know, videos, like resources, you know, like those TikTokers are doing incredible things, but I want to put them all in a space that's not just a party house and see what we get. Do you know what I mean? Like, I can't wait. That's going to come and it's going to be a couple of years from now, I think. But like that that next wave is is going to be really exciting.
0: Yeah. Figuring out where the where the spot to like meet all the comedy people and network and make friends so that you're all coming up together and helping each other where is that going to be
1: but so on the tv end of things you went from this place where you probably had a ton of control on set but and you probably wrote a lot of the stuff you're directing or involved in the pitching of it how does it change when you go to tv and especially in a comedy world where you're like the guest and they're the established people like how, how do you direct comedic performances when On someone else's TV show, I guess.
0: TV is very funny because, yeah, you go in as the director and you're not in charge. The showrunner's in charge. So I just go in, you know, with that mindset. I'm here to help facilitate getting this episode made. You know, it's not really my job to, like, comment on the story of the script. If something's sticking out and I have a question, sure. But I'm really there to, like, execute the day, get the logistics together And then performance-wise, I love working with actors and making things funny on the day and talking about performance. Um, And so hopefully I've talked to the showrunner and producers in tone meetings or whatever before we started shooting about, you know, uh, how far did you want this scene to go or how crazy should this be? And so hopefully I have an idea before we get there. But it's really like a collaboration with that showrunner on shooting day of like what they need to get, what they want and what their notes are. And it's a funny job to to like go in as the director and you know so much less than everyone else who's been there working on the show.
1: Well, do you think it is? it's part of your job to make a scene funny when you're doing TV?
0: I guess it's like all of our jobs to make it funny. You know, it's not just my job. But sure, yeah, like let's set this up funny so that the blocking assists with that and the location, you know, let's make all these elements work towards it being funny. And then hopefully the performance delivers on if the lines are funny. I think it's everybody's job.
1: Yeah. Cause I guess like when you are directing your own thing, if you are doing a funnier dive video, you're doing a short film or a pilot presentation that you wrote or something, or even a, a feature, you know, I think it's in your power to say like, Hmm, this isn't as funny as I thought it should be. Like let's figure out how to make it funnier. But when you're a guest on a TV show and it's like, not that funny and you didn't write it and you didn't you're not performing it and
2: you're not the dp that set the look you know sometimes like the how star is an ep as well like there's a lot of ownership in that room on that stage that's not yours yeah
0: yeah so i mean i'm just trying to keep all those people happy it's really more so than make the show funny i think it's like just keeping the keeping the line producer happy i didn't go over a ton of hours keep the showrunner happy the performances are good we're getting all the lines that they wrote we're getting all the alts that they wanted keep the actors happy they feel creative and and like they're in the right place and doing the right thing and so it's just like a lot of managing that without too much interjecting of like well i think this should be that
2: yeah i i remember once shadowing with a very very experienced director and i kind of early on was like hey do you ever wanna do kind of a cool establishing shot maybe like a little crane move they had it was a big show they had all sorts of toys and he was like uh i'm gonna start the camera on the first person speaking because everything before that will get cut <laughs> I yeah like, i was like yeah that that's true that makes sense that's uh that's the nature of it and he was very kind about it he Sure, was sure. Like, he was like listen kid I've had a lot of cool shots cut in my days.
0: So, <laughs> right.
2: So figure out another way to do it for
0: sure. Right. Especially those shows that are trying to keep it to whatever 22 minutes or whatever it is. It's like any of that extra stuff definitely gets cut. So a like, bunch of good stuff in their script will get cut.
1: So are you, what's your status now? Is Are you kind of like a full-time TV and features director? Uh, what's like, what's your kind of day-to-day now?
0: Oh, it's so sad. My day-to-day now is... <laughs> This is just getting through the day, slogging through, figuring out how not to be bored. But
2: yeah, I am, podcasting. I'm
0: podcasting. This is a, a delight to talk to two human beings outside of my home.
1: Consider us human You beings. have a cute
0: dog,
2: though. Yeah. I have a cute yeah. dog right behind
0: me. Um, I'm doing uh, two episodes of Tacoma FD next month. And so, yeah, I'm, I, I just got back from New York. I did a, a two episodes of a new show coming to Peacock called Girls 5 Eva. So, yeah, I'm just, you know, reading, reading scripts and trying to get staffed on shows and figuring out what my next movie might be. And when yeah. you say
1: staffed, you mean Staff as a director? Staffed as a director, sorry. Yeah. So you're at a place now where you kind of hang out and people send you stuff. Is there, are you kind of in this awesome place where it's like you no longer like have to hustle as much or do you feel like the hustle never ends?
0: The hustle never ends, but I do at least have reps who send me scripts to read and reps who put me up for jobs but a lot of things you know still come down to like did you you know you know i know i know this person whose show is going and we were friends or i know that person that i met long ago at funny or die or you know it still matters that you are checking in with people and reminding people you're around and um, and now is a weird time too i can't tell if things are like in production or it's slow or I can't tell what's happening right.
1: right now. So now that you've tasted the sweet, sweet nectar of TV and studio film money, do you still write at all? Do you like ever sit down and say, like, I'm going to write a script?
0: Um, I do. I have a script that I'm working on that I haven't touched in probably a couple months. But yeah, I do. When I, when I can get myself motivated, I do.
1: Would you be down to join us for some unpaid endorsements?
0: I'm so down. You know? Unpaid endorsements.
2: So my unpaid endorsement is you guys, Freaks and Geeks is on Hulu. It had been off and on streamers for a while. You know, if you didn't bother to buy the box set, you know, fifteen years ago and it's been a minute since you've revisited that show. It's um it's been nice to uh to just kind of like drop back into something that is bittersweet and strange and um You know, this time around, there's a handful of episodes where you're like, I don't know how people are supposed to feel about this. Like, I know it is funny, but this is kind of sad and pretty dark. Boy, there's an episode where uh, Lindsay and Daniel have gotten caught cheating. And Daniel does this kind of like big monologue that he did for Lindsay earlier. And then he does again in front of all the teachers. And Lindsay just starts laughing in his face. While everyone is confused by him, fade to black. End of episode. Do you have to watch it in order? Or can you? I just watch it's, any. Random it's worth it to watch it in order, and there's not a good reason not to. You know, like it's it's pretty segmented, it's pretty episodic, but there is like a a mild arc to everybody, and they do kind of try and give it a semi satisfying ending because they knew that the the show was getting canceled when they made it. So yeah, that's my endorsement. Freaks and geeks, just yeah. Fifteen years later, but it's on Hulu if you've got Hulu. So so LP. What you got?
0: I got one. It's also an older TV show, but I've been binging it nonstop. It's called Ink Master. It's a reality show where people get tattooed and sometimes the tattoos are bad and there's judges and they'll be like, yo, that lady has two right feet. (laughs) Her face is jacked up. It looks like a cover up and that person's got to live with it for the rest of their life.
1: Wait. It's not the show where people have super messed up tattoos and they want to get them fixed.
0: No, but I'm going to need to find that show after this one. There's done. like a
1: tattoo nightmares or something. I forget what it's called. But it's like, yeah, my ex-boyfriend's face is on my entire back. Turn it into my
2: daughter's face. <laughs> and it's like, I'm going to love yeah, it's this. It's going to take us 45 sessions. Let's I go. do love the idea of somebody getting a tattoo as practice and also... It's a reality show. Like, is it timed? Like, are they some of them are timed?
0: There's there's challenges where they've got to you know do this one all in black and gray. You have six hours. Go, and uh, and it's on
2: a real person.
0: It's on a real person every time. And at the end, the finale is always a thirty five hour like huge back piece that this person didn't pick out. Oh, no. No, Come on. This person did not pick out. They've just volunteered. Maybe they're getting paid.
2: I hope they're getting paid. You can't get paid a month. All right. So, so everyone, how much money do you have to be paid to get a tattoo on your back? It doesn't have to be a full back tattoo. Just like, you know, like a modest, you know, visible, but size. It's a real tattoo. Like one people would notice if you were swimming right i would do it for a million that's pretty high or a million bucks. i
0: just i don't get to know what it is what it's gonna be. you don't be. get no. to
2: know what it is but it's not gonna be <laughs> well it's not, it can be embarrassing in so much as it could be bad but they're trying their hardest and it's not inflammatory or lewd or anything Right, but
0: someone's going to just put, like, a weird skull on my back and I'm going to be bummed out.
2: Something too hard, like something that, like, tries to be, like, really tough would be a a nightmare for me. Maybe a million is the right number.
1: Or, like, a thorn.
2: I mean, look, I have
1: friends that have, like, a bazillion tattoos and they wouldn't care at all. I have no tattoos and I probably won't have any. So, to me, it would be, like, a really big deal. But I remember there was this episode of James Corden and he had um, the guys from One Direction on (laughs) and they were playing some like Russian roulette type of game where one of them, if, if James Corden lost, he would have to get a 1D tattoo, and if one of the One Direction guys lost, they would have to get a James Corden tattoo, a JC or something like that, or the Tonight Show, some, something really dumb, and James Corden had no, never had any tattoos, and he was so scared, and it was just down to James Corden and Harry Styles at the very end, and harry styles got like whatever he pulled the box he opened said he had to get the tattoo and he had like 80 tattoos he's like yeah just put it on here who cares you know like it was no big deal but for james corden it was like a pivotal moment in his life so i think it's all relative uh or what you got buddy i'm gonna give two they're both they're two bad ones so i'm gonna give two of them real fast number one youtube you yeah, guys check that this website Guys, I had to I had to tile my back my a backsplash in my kitchen with zero experience. Watch YouTube. I'll post some pictures on our website of our new backsplash. It's pretty freaking amazing. Did have, you have to cut any tile? Yes, we got I borrowed a wet saw from my stepdad who uh, loves getting amazing deals on things, which is why uh, every single tile pretty much is chipped. But, you know, once you grout it and everything, I think it's covered up. You no one'll notice. Um, but it, it's awesome. I'm like super excited and today we had this like professional tile come guy come here to do like this other like a more complicated tiling thing in my house and uh my wife's like what do you think of our tile job and i was like do not do not ask like a professional what you think he thinks of our tile job and he was like look you're no matter what you're always going to be proud that like you did this backsplash in your house so um i just want to thank youtube for that and then another thing on youtube is and i'm sure everyone knows about this or will like by the time this comes out but there's a short film from Lulu Wang um, who directed *Farewell*, The Farewell called *Neon*, Nian, N-I-A-N I think and it's shot 100% on the iPhone 12 Pro and it looks like um, I don't know if you guys saw The Farewell that's like an incredibly visually like an incredibly shot movie um, and this is at that same level but it is shot on an iPhone and it looks so good. Like, you can't even compare it to, like, that snowball fight shot on the iPhone 11 um, from last year. N-I-A-N, and there's a making of behind the scenes. And, like, they do all these handheld shots with the stabilized iPhone. It's, a, it's just incredible. It was colored at MPC, and it's got, like, you know, A-list everyone behind the camera. But the fact that they shot on the, an iPhone is just, it's really amazing. So,
2: anyhow, um, those are my two things to check out. Well, LP, thank you so much how can people learn more about you and keep track of all of your fun, cool projects in the future?
0: You could follow me on Twitter, I guess. Uh, I think it's I think I'm lpz10 on Twitter. L p e e z y one zero.
1: Twitter, the website you ripped on during your feature I,
0: did, page. I, I just it's just not Come good on. for stakes.
2: <laughs> Okay, what's, what's the handle one more time?
0: Uh, LPZ10.
2: There you go. LPZ10. Well, you can follow the show at Just Shoot It Pod across all social media. You can go to com to check out the things that we talked about and linked to LPZ10, for instance. And you can follow me at Mister MrBadUnlo. I'm at
1: SmiteyPileg on Twitter. I'm at O.Kaplan on Instagram. And we love to hear from you. Email us at justshootapod at gmail.com. This episode was edited by the amazing Sarah Weirda, our social media master, is Derek Aiello, and the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Gizzard, and we will catch you next time. Thanks, everyone.